It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. The Locked On NBA Fantasy Minute is presented by Price Picks. Price Picks is the most fun you can have playing daily fantasy basketball and winning up to 25 times your money. Go to pricepicks.com slash locked on NBA and use the code locked on NBA for a first deposit match up to $100. We are very much in the thick of the fantasy basketball playoffs. You might be starting it this week, you might be already in it, it might be a week away. And at this point of the year, with only five weeks left in the entire regular season, Playing the schedule is the most important thing. So this week, the Minnesota Timberwolves and the Los Angeles Lakers play two games only. So any fringe players you have from those teams, even guys, yes, like Kyle Anderson replacing Kyle Anthony Towns, that's not worth it with two games on. You need to be stacking extra games and you need to be looking at the teams with four games. You need to be looking at teams with games early in the week and then switching them out for teams with more games later in the week. Get more games in, play the schedule, be cutthroat with injuries and get players in to get yourself success for fantasy basketball. Jackson Gatlin here, host of the Monday edition Locked On NBA podcast. Every Monday, I cover the three biggest stories in the NBA with the local experts from Locked On. It's an awesome recap of the weekend of the NBA and a look at what's ahead. Mark your calendars on Monday to join me for Locked On NBA podcast, available on YouTube and wherever you get your podcasts. Any other questions, guys? Thank you, guys. Appreciate it. Have a great night. Hey, what's up? Welcome to episode number 649 of Locked On Raptors for, uh, what the hell day is it? Tuesday, January 28th. I'm your host, Sean Woodley, RaptorsHQ.com. You can find me on Twitter, as always, at WoodleySean. Find the show at Locked On Raptors, where you can find links to every single episode of the podcast. And, of course, please make sure you're checking out the Locked On Podcast Network, where we have team-focused shows covering all 30 NBA teams. If you are a football fan, we've got the Locked On NFL shows going for you, whether it's fantasy, you're doing daily fantasy for the Super Bowl, whether you're a Chiefs or 49ers fan, whether you're a national fan and you just kind of want to hear the national perspective on the Super Bowl, make sure you're tuning into all of those shows on the Locked On NFL side of things. And we got our hockey stuff. Uh, and, you know, there's just so much for you to listen to. There's like 160 plus shows in the network. If you like a team, there's probably a show covering it uh, on a daily local perspective. So get on that subscribe, rate, review, all that good stuff. Thanks in advance for doing that. All right. On today's show... Uh, after yesterday with Vivek when we talked about Kobe for half an hour or so, and after I listened to, I don't know, half a dozen Kobe-related podcasts, and as I still sort of wade through the Kobe-related content and the, the pieces and the obits and the podcasts and everything, I kind of just wanted to get back to talking about basketball a little bit today, and maybe that's too soon, maybe it's callous, I don't know, but I like the basketball as a distraction. I was selfishly happy that... There was a game on Sunday for us to watch. As much as I didn't really absorb anything from the game, I was happy it was just there to occupy my mind. And I feel like lots of people kind of are dealing with what has gone on in the NBA the last couple days in a similar way and are just sort of throwing themselves into the basketball. And honestly, I've been enjoying the basketball quite a bit this season. I know there's been a lot of talk of how you know terrible this regular season's been and how ratings are down for X number of reasons, and I just haven't really bought it. I, I've really, really enjoyed the season. I got a bit of a, a, a boost of energy when Zion started playing, and I've watched every Pelicans game since because... You know, I love my Pelicans and King Cake Baby's coming back soon and, you know, Zion's there and that's all fun and good. And I just feel like, you know, 
I we did enough yesterday on yesterday's show to talk about Kobe, I think, and then we'll leave it to the experts and the people who knew him best and the people who can touch on it with a little bit more nuance, obviously, with all of the different layers to that conversation. Uh, we'll leave it to them, and we'll get back to talking Raptors on today's show. And joining me to do so is uh, one of the very best writers covering the team right now and uh, a good buddy. It's Louis Zatzman from Raptors Republic. What's going on, man? Hey, buddy. Thank you so much for having me. And and, and I should say, I actually think it's not callous at all to to uh to want a distraction from the from the kobe news it's hard to surround yourself with with sadness with you know commiserating uh constantly and there's a reason they played the games on on sunday and i think it's not bad at all to want a uh, professional uh distance yeah I, well that, well put thanks for uh, reinforcing what i'm thinking uh I, I thanks for coming on the show man i'm glad we could do this i think it's the first time we've done it not in person at a raptors game uh which seems uh, like a crime really <laughs> because you're great and i uh, kudos to you man because you are one of the few people who seem to absorb anything from that raptors spurs game over the weekend obviously it was a nice win for the raptors they held on in crunch time they you know avoided blowing a big lead and you know nice things happened you know on the court and it was a very strange game that i didn't absorb a single thing from <laughs> i just I, I could not take it in whatsoever i was enthralled by pascal siakam going for 81 points in the first quarter and then i kind of just was watching the game without really any sort of critical eye you however did a very good job breaking the game down and the return of one of our very favorite things that the raptors like to do which is trapping and uh, screwing around with uh, stars on the other team and sending extra bodies their way and forcing their crappy teammates to make plays and hit shots and all that good stuff that they have largely not done when the Raptors have busted out these traps this season. And you wrote a very good piece breaking it all down for Raptors Republic yesterday. People should go read it. Uh, and so I wanted to talk to you about some tactical stuff, talk to you about the defense a little bit, talk to you about... Uh, crunch time as well, because the Raptors have been very good in crunch time, and we're seeing Pascal Siakam kind of, you know, find himself these last few games as a closer, and that's very fun and cool, and an interesting development, and so yeah, we'll kind of go around a few different things for how the team is playing right now on the court, and let's start with the trap stuff. What was your sort of impetus for wanting to write about this? I know, obviously, the impetus was they started trapping again. Uh, and, you know, that that's the easy reason. But, I don't know, was, was that something that you were missing? Were you longing for the insane, kooky defenses of Nick Nurse while the injuries were taking place and they were kind of going with a more straight man-to-man defense with their sort of haphazard, you know, piecemeal roster? Um, are, are you happy to see the traps back? Was that the reason you decided to write about them? No, I think I'm happy to see the traps back in the small amount that they were used. You know, five or six, depending on whether one was just a mistake or not. Uh, that's a good number. You know, using it 35 times against James Harden and the Rockets, probably too much. Um, the impetus for me was actually, so I, you know, agreed to write something about the game other than a game or a recap, and I just had nothing. And so when I went back and did the rewatch, is actually when I took the traps away. And I watched it, you know, like half an hour after it ended, I went back and started it again and found it easier to pay attention to the basketball. But the first time through, like everyone else, I was drawn a blank. Mm -hmm. But, uh, you know, I think what was interesting is at first they used traps against multiple ball handlers. Lonnie Walker saw one. Rudy Gay saw one. 
Uh, DeMar DeRozan saw one or two in the first half, but that was basically when DeRozan, when the others dribbled around the screen, the uh, the screen defender was even higher than the screen. So a trap to force the ball handler backwards and then forced kind of crazy rotations behind. Um, whereas later in the game, game, in the last, or in the fourth quarter, maybe last three minutes, five minutes, they ran three or four different traps on DeMar DeRozan that were totally different. They basically had um, one person zoning up the weak side, mm-hmm. um, usually guarding two, two players. They had two on the strong side, just playing straight man. And then Powell was guarding DeMar DeRozan normally with Pascal Siakam playing like freelance safety. And if DeRozan came inside the arc, Powell would double him there. But it was no longer involved in a screen, so calling it a trap may be a misnomer, but a uh, totally different scheme. And I didn't really get into that, but it was that's what was really the most interesting thing to me was how they use different ones, even in the small sample of just six traps. Yeah, I think you could definitely argue that uh, they could have used a little subtlety back when they were really struggling. You mentioned the sort of stretch uh, where they played the Jazz, the Heat, the Rockets, and... Uh, someone else good in there and you know Jimmy Butler and James Harden in particular were the ones who kind of picked it apart the best you know like at the Jazz I was really worried about how it was going to work against the Jazz I recall just because of all the different ball handlers they have and all, all the shooters they have and they ended up not getting too burned by it but the Harden and Butler ones were particularly noticeable and they were just like so predictable I thought in the way they were breaking those traps it was just like oh yeah James Harden crosses half court two guys are in his grill and it's just so easy for him to make that read similar to Butler as well and so to see them kind of baking in a little bit more subtlety and a little bit less over aggression with them is kind of a nice thing um and so yeah that that, that, that's that's encouraging for sure and and I guess kind of goes in line with what we know from Nick Nurse where he's always going to try shit out and, and and see if it works first before making any sort of decision as to whether or not he wants to stick with it um do you think like we'll see them ever go back to how aggressive it was against the Rockets and Heat because like you mentioned how you know they were mostly successful with it early on I think back to games like uh, the Portland game against Dame and there were a few other ones early in the season I think like Anthony Davis or LeBron uh, was in there too they made Kawhi have a pretty tough night when they first played Kawhi in LA Um, and so they had some success with it that kind of dissipated as they got more and more overt with it, I think. And, you know, I would think maybe they try to skew away from being that aggressive with it again. But I don't know. Like, what do you think changed between, like, was it just that they were more aggressive? Was it just the teams had more tape on it? Like, what was the reason you think that they really sort of struggled there before the injuries hit and they had to kind of go away from it entirely for a month? Honestly, I think Nick Nurse would say they didn't struggle. Um, I, I, he would definitely say they struggled against uh, Miami. Um, he said, and he, the trap was fine, relatively tight. Uh, Butler didn't get a lot of splits or anything like that, but he was really critical of the rotations behind the traps, mm. which, by the way, is why they went away from them. Nick Nurse is, I don't know, I mean, you've talked to more coaches than I have, or at least been around them talking. And has anyone ever been so open with media? Like, Nick Nurse's honesty where he said, yeah, look, we cannot trap without Marc Gasol in the, in the lineup. He just 
Ibaka can't do it. He doesn't mm-hmm. talk the same way. He doesn't move the same way. That's pretty crazy. Yeah, that is definitely and so unique. I think like maybe Steve Clifford is the only guy I've ever heard be sort of as open about stuff and like tactical stuff the way Nurse is, which is nice. Yeah, he does that too. And but anyway, that's an aside. So Nurse would said before the Rockets game, you know, we're going to try something crazy. And then after the game, guy, people said, you know, how did that work? He said, I don't know. I'll have to look at the tape on surface watch. I mean, they scored points, but I don't think it was because of the trapping. Because a lot of their points were in transition. Toronto's offense, not fantastic. They turned the ball over 17 times. They missed, like, 10 corner threes, and they got 11, I think. Mm -hmm. And so Nurse, and missed threes, especially from the corner, often lead to transition. And so um, Nurse said, you know, I'll have to watch film. We'll see. And then practice the next day, he doubled down and said, yeah, our our traps were fine against Houston. We had a huge number of deflections. Uh, Most of their shots were contested. Uh, And so they they didn't go away with it because it didn't work. work. And I think if they were to play another team like the Rockets, who just, I mean, everything is a nail and and James Harden is a hammer, they're just going to keep pounding away. I think we, we would see Toronto unveil the trap just over and over and over. This is Jake from Locked On. Locked On has teamed up with State Farm to spotlight some of the greatest supporting players in NBA history. After beating the Heat led by LeBron James and Dwayne Wade in 2011, Dirk Nowitzki won an NBA title and proved himself to be one of the greatest basketball players of all time. But there was one player in the starting lineup for the last three games of the finals that helped support Dirk all the way to a championship, J.J. Barea. Led by J.J. and Jason Terry, the Mavs' second unit proved to be the strength throughout the playoffs, where they led the NBA in bench scoring. But for games 4, 5, and 6 in the NBA Finals, Mavs coach Rick Carlisle inserted Berea into the starting five to help the Mavs space the floor and put more playmaking around Dirk. J.J. Berea had a knack for running the pick-and-roll with Dirk that helped the Mavs score more efficiently on their run to a title. Dirk Nowitzki couldn't score the way he did if he didn't have much-needed support from someone like J.J. Berea. Sometimes, you and I need that kind of support, too. Think of State Farm like a pivotal team player. When you need help protecting the things that matter most, remember the jingle and just say, like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Yeah, and I think, like, that Rockets game, and this has sort of been the the balance the Raptors have been trying to strike all year, right? Where they give up a lot of corner threes. I think they're near the top of the league, if not at the top of the league in terms of corner threes given up. But it's, like, shitty players by design that they're trying to give them up to. And the Rockets... It was shitty players mostly who beat them, right? It was Ben McLemore and it was Daniel House. And I think Russ kind of got going a little bit late in that one. But the Raptors were, I think, very much just trying to, you know, trick Russ into shooting them out of the game more than anything. And it didn't quite work, obviously. And they still almost won that game, if I recall. It wasn't by any means a blowout. And so I think that's kind of, especially when it's like 82 practices in the regular season, I think that's the price you gladly pay is, all right, let's test out this very sort of outside-the-box and, like, extreme defense, see if it works. If it doesn't, at least we've seen some tape on it and we know how we can improve it next time um, or, you know, we know how it beat us. And a lot of the time, it's just they got beat by guys who got super hot. And I think that's kind of what's happened in a couple of these sort of late-game almost collapses a little bit where, uh, you know, it hasn't necessarily been that they've been trapping or anything like that, but they still have been giving up, you know, a lot of open threes to guys that they're happy giving up open threes to, and then they just happen to hit them, and then boom, a seven-possession game becomes a two-possession game pretty quickly. And I don't think it's anything to do with the process of the Raptors' defense, and I think the 
overall success they've had all season long in really any scheme kind of suggests to me that the process has never really been an issue. It's just a matter of, all right, sometimes teams are going to get hot. And like, that's the classic Dwayne Casey, it's a make or miss league Doug thing. But you know, that's, it's basketball. Like should happen. Sometimes Ben McLemore is going to hit six threes. Um, and sometimes DeMar DeRozan is going to, you know, turn it over and bad players on the Spurs are going to miss shots. And your defense is going to be absolutely awesome late in the game, which I thought was sort of my main takeaway from that Spurs game, if we want to sort of bring it to something more current, I, I thought the Spurs game, the way that they defended in that fourth quarter was outstanding. And I thought Pascal in particular, you know, we'll get to Pascal's closing offense in just a second, but I thought Pascal's defense in that game against the Spurs, and then also just recently, like the last four or five games has been kind of insane. Like, I, I think we kind of look at Pascal maybe as and sort of give him too much credit for defense sometimes. And I don't even know if that's necessarily a Raptors fan thing as much as it is a general sort of mass media thing where most people seem to, you know, look at Pascal as some like all defense defender where I think people who maybe watch the games a little bit more closely, watch them every single night kind of say, eh, he's like maybe the third or fourth best defender on this Raptors team based on like consistency across the board. Um, but I think the last few games, he's kind of showed out on that end in a very real way, whether it's with the track whether it's just like his rim protection where he had a couple plays in that Spurs game where he just stood up so damn strong and doing like the Gasol thing at the rim where like he just puts his arms up and you're not getting past him and he just like you know I think he had a couple swats he had a, I think a really nice play on Ben Simmons last week in the Sixers game late in that one uh, what have you made of Pascal's defense lately as we sort of transition the conversation closer towards him yeah I agree he's being less consistent this year than last year but I think part of that is um, when you're asked to do something very difficult every night you're just going to be more focused and Pascal defends better when tasked with a more difficult defensive assignment Um, and so I think when he is asked to switch onto every ball handler to take away DeMar DeRozan's drive Uh, to rotate behind the trap, to protect the rim, to get the rebound, which they were asking him to do all of that, that's when you really see his ability come into play. Whereas if he's just sticking on one tertiary player, his focus can waver, and that's where the inconsistency comes in. And we've seen him get blown by a few times this year just because uh, he's using his legs on offense. But, But, yeah, his defense against San Antonio was just all league. Um, and it, it's just Toronto, with the starting lineup they use, Lowry, Van Vliet, Ananobi, Siakam, Gasol, those are five at their peak, you know, all-NBA tangential defenders. It's They lost maybe the best defender in NBA history and <laughs> remain probably the best defensive starting lineup in the league. That's crazy. Yeah, it's pretty nuts, dude. <laughs> it's They've been a lot of fun. They're, like, as fun to watch on defense as they are on offense. Uh, and they especially were in the time where their offense yeah. wasn't existent. Uh, and it was just, like, a bunch of weirdos trying hard <laughs> on defense. Um, That's exactly it. Yeah. Uh, so that it, they're they're good, man. They're the I'm so confident in this team's sort of sustain, sustainability over the course of the year just because of how good their defense is. And it just seems unwavering. And they can 
do the thing they did last year where they kind of rely on Marcus Gasol and Kyle Lowry and all the savants they have to sort of figure out the defense possession by possession as opposed to going in with like a set defense. They play all game or all quarter. They can kind of, you know, adjust it on the fly because they're so damn smart. And that didn't go away when Kawhi and Danny Green left as much as two excellent defenders and two really smart defenders went away. Still having that sort of director of the defense in Gasol makes uh, a world of difference as it turns out he's really really goddamn good <laughs> like it, it people were having like a conversation last night after rudy gobert got punked by the rockets uh and we're sort of pointing out like gasol was so damn good in that like the finals last year i think we kind of slept on it a little bit like the fact that he was able to be on the floor against steph and like cause problems in when, when coming up high and stuff like that uh, like that's rare for a big man. Even the best big men in the game don't really have that in their bag. And Gasol, with all of his slowness baked in, somehow had that or still has that. And it's uh, quite the asset to have. And I, I can't even fathom anyone wanting to possibly trade that dude. It's fucking insane to me. Uh, pay him all the money. Give him another year with Kyle for $30 million. I don't give a shit. Uh, we're going to continue on this conversation in just a second. But first... I want to remind people that if you've been a listener of this podcast, I'm sure you've all heard the great advertisers working with Locked On to reach sports fans. But you may not know that Locked On Raptors is a great way for your local business to reach passionate Raptors fans just like you. Unlike any other business, Locked On gives your company the unique ability to reach local podcast listeners every single day. And it's not just any podcast listener. It's a Locked On podcast listener. If your company wants to connect with Raptors fans in a predominantly male audience that is well-educated with disposable income, then let's put your company right here on this Locked On podcast. Local fans love to support local businesses. Text the word advertising to 33777 or visit LockedOnPodcast.com slash advertising and let us know who you are. We'll get our team to help you achieve your Locked On advertising success. Once again, text the word advertising to 33777 or visit LockedOnPodcast.com slash advertising. We look forward to hearing from you. No matter what moves you made last year, TurboTax experts make them count. Did you say no to a big wedding and elope at the county courthouse? That's a move. Did you go back to school to get your degree? That's a move. Did you relocate for a fresh start? Well, that's literally a move. Maybe you moved into a houseboat instead of a house house or switched gears from rideshare driving to video game streaming. Or you rode the stock market to the moon and back. TurboTax experts make all your moves count getting you every credit and deduction you deserve. They'll file with 100% accuracy and get you your max refund guaranteed. So, switch to TurboTax. Make your moves. They'll make them count. See guarantee details at TurboTax.com guarantees. Experts only available with TurboTax Live. Uh, all right, let's, Lewis, let's continue on here. I'm trying to find uh, some stats, so I might uh, throw it to you to vamp for a second. But I, I want to talk about Pascal Siakam, who has been excellent lately. He won Player of the Week for some reason. <laughs> I, I didn't really understand that one, but sure, that's cool. I'll take it, um, and I'm sure Pascal will take it as well. Obviously named an All-Star starter last week too, which is great for him and really emotional uh, hearing him talk about what that means to him. Very, very cool stuff. Uh, and the last couple games against the Knicks and the Spurs, he's kind of become uh, a closing 
monster. He's been really, really good at late in games. The Raptors seem to be funneling their offense through him, whether it's running sort of like 4-1 pick and rolls with either Kyle Lowry or Fred Van Vliet, whether it's just giving him the ball to ISO. He hasn't posted up a ton. He's just kind of getting the ball up top and they're working the offense with him as though he were a point guard. And it's very fun. Um, what have you made of this like recent development where Pascal seems to be very clearly the number one option after earlier in the season, it kind of seemed a little bit like closing by a committee or like a sort of two-headed monster between Pascal and Kyle Lowry. And obviously with Lowry kind of taking the reins when everyone was hurt. And now it seems to kind of be Pascal's show. Do you, has this like stood out to you as something that's notably different to you? Am I just like a prisoner of the moment and realizing that this has just been a, a, only sort of recognizing this over the last couple of games when it's been a full season thing? I don't know. You're smarter than me. Tell me what you think about Pascal Siakam closing games and being kind of a motherfucker doing so. Yeah, I don't know about the smarter thing, but I, I do agree they've tilted a little bit towards Pascal more. You know, it's not it's not like he has had a hundred percent usage, um, but they've definitely been using him more. I, I completely agree with that, and I think what has allowed it is his passing, or at least maybe not the actual act of passing, but his reads have gotten better. He's just faster at identifying when an advantage is created and when he can give the ball up. And you saw that uh, they just ran the same little, you know, Pascal drives, defense sinks in, he kicks behind to Fred Van Fleet for an open three. They ran that, you know, on two consecutive plays, they got two open threes. It's just because his passing is at a height now that it, I don't think it was mm-hmm. earlier in the season. Have you seen that? Yeah, I think it's definitely there. I think especially that Spurs game, after that crazy first quarter he had, it really seemed like the Spurs were honing in to try to stop him. And it seemed like he was very happy to leverage that, right? He had a couple, like, ridiculous skip passes, I think, from, like, the far right corner all the way to the left wing. When a couple bodies came his way, he was very eager to, you know, start the swing. And in a couple of cases, you know, he would get doubled, he would swing it, and then it would end up coming back to him anyway. And I think that... Is sort of a good way to keep a guy in the in the mindset of like moving the ball along for sure. I think maybe Siakam could get sometimes, and even since returning from injury, I think he kind of gets a little bit tunnel vision-y sometimes where he kind of feels like it's upon him to do everything when it's really not and doesn't have to be with the amount of talent and shooting they have out there with him. Um, and I do think, yeah, his passing has been like really, really nice. And those threes you mentioned late in the game that they created for Fred, like the, it was pretty much entirely a product of Siakam recognizing all the attention that was coming his way, getting like three or four bodies walling him up when he got into the paint and saying, all right, you're going to do this. Uh, we have many good shooters around. I'm going to find them now. And that, that, that's that been a really nice thing because, you know, I think his assist numbers have dropped off a little bit. He's been sort of erratic with his playmaking uh, over the course of the year, but to see him kind of settle in and, and stringing together more of those flashes that we've seen throughout the year has been uh, bloody encouraging. Yeah, he had one play one play in particular um, that I was just so impressed with. He um, like he, he just he got the ball on a post up against, I think, Marco Bellinelli or something. He drove, he drew two, he kicked OG in the corner and then relocated for three, got a switch onto Aldridge, drove, drew more, and then kicked to OG Ananobi for a wide open three. I mean, that's superstar stuff where he just continually churns out advantages. And I think early in the earlier in the year, he just wasn't able to capitalize right away. He'd either 
put up a shot, which, I mean, usually has a good chance of going in, or he'd just recognize the pass a beat late and allow the defense to recover. But against the Spurs, he was just so good at getting the ball out early and, and letting his teammates, you know, take advantage of that. And that's what a closer needs to be, is, is not just the scoring, but if a defense overreacts, which we saw San Antonio doing late, somebody who can really put the ball where it needs it needs to be for teammates to score. Totally. And so I guess this sort of, you know, this is sort of a topic that's been on the top of my brain a little bit over the last few games as the Raptors have played some close ones, which they weren't really doing early in the season. Uh, and they've been close games against teams that maybe they shouldn't be close against in a few cases. Uh, and so I'm just sort of curious. So we, the Raptors, I think kind of in years past, like not the Kawhi season, obviously, where they had Kawhi, but in like the DeMar and Kyle era, I think their crunch time game could be a little bit hit and miss just because of, you know, DeMar's certain limitations and Kyle's physical limitations and stuff like that, his ability to sort of break guys down in his last couple years before Kawhi came weren't necessarily, you know, like not where he was in 2013 or 14. And I think, you know, crunch time has always kind of been a bit of a mixed bag for this Raptors non-Kawhi division. And so I'm wondering, do you think Pascal is a little bit more equipped to sort of lead a very good crunch time team and have them be successful? Because they have been successful. They're number five right now in the league in terms of crunch time net rating. The clutch uh, stat on the NBA.com site, obviously, is five minutes. uh, Five minutes left with a five-point differential. It's an imperfect sort of set of parameters but it's the best we have i guess but the raptors have been really good number five in the league and i think it's like a plus 14 net rating in those situations their defense obviously holds up very well their offense is running at a pretty good clip um do you believe in this raptors team as a team that could be very good in crunch time based on all of the things we've talked about the pascal passing the different shooting options all over the place the different playmaking options between fred and gasol and lowry like do you think in the heat of the moment in the playoffs, they have enough juice to, you know, break down a really good defense like a Philly or an Indiana or something like that when they really need a bucket. Yeah, they should. I mean, so much of that just depends on Pascal's jump shot. Yeah. I mean, when teams go under, we saw, uh, you know, before the San Antonio game and his first few games back, He's not hesitating to launch those threes now, the open ones. But if they don't go in, Toronto's offense can look pretty stilted. Um, A lot of people I saw on Twitter were saying, you know, Pascal, drive, stop shooting. But if they're going under, if they're padding the paint, he should be shooting those open threes. I mean, he's a good shooter this year, and and it's just for a little stretch there, he wasn't making them, and then he did against San Antonio. But, uh, I mean, if his jumper is established one, uh, then they will have a really excellent crunch time offense because Pascal is such a, a weird finisher. He's so good at those little, you know, offbeat, contested floaters, little push shots, the type of tough shots that you get in crunch time, right? Mm-hmm. I think his game is sort of made for that, but it really does depend on his jumper, which, though good, though really good now, is a little less consistent than you'd like in a Tier 1 clo- closer, like a Kawhi Leonard type of guy. Yeah, I'm not sure how much I trust the pull-up threes to sort of be a thing he can rely on all the time. I mean, he's been amazing from above the break. A lot of them are, uh, you know, pull-up threes. He's had a few 
where he'll like get ahead of steam from half court and just like stop and pop for three and it's like holy shit this is in his bag and like it's definitely in his bag i'm not sure you know how like viable it is as a thing that he can do all the time but you know that's what the remainder of the season is about right and i think it's a really smart idea for the raptors to sort of flip their offense to be more Siakam centric when games are on the line. Now, you know, as we go down the stretch drive here, we know what Kyle Lowry can do. We know what Fred Van Vliet can do in like a catch and shoot role working off of very good creators. Why not just have Siakam take over and like, it's like practicing defense, right? It's like trying out new styles of defense. You know, it might not work all the time. We might lose a couple games along the way. And that could matter because the standings are very tight right now. And the two seed is very, very important. But I think in the interest of seeing what Siakam is capable of and sort of getting him ready for the playoffs, turning things over to him late, I think, is probably the best course of action. And uh, I'm glad to see that they've done it lately. Lewis, man, I-, I think we've kind of exhaustively covered most of the things I wanted to talk about. Do you have any parting shots or things that uh, we didn't hit on that you'd like to touch on? No, you hit the spots. I mean, I'll say this will definitely come out after the Atlanta game which is tonight we're recording on Tuesday. But I'll make the prediction right now that they use the traps again against Atlanta. Oh, buddy, this is coming out in like five minutes. So this will be out. You could, There we go. Yeah, the prediction is now in stone. And yeah, I hope they use the traps against Trey Young because uh, they don't have any other good players. <laughs> and uh, I'm okay <laughs> daring Cam Reddish and DeAndre Hunter to beat me. Kevin Herter's a little bit more problematic, but also it's Kevin Herter. If you're scared of Kevin Herter, that's fine. get out of the kitchen? I don't know. Uh, <laughs> that's going to do it. Uh, Lewis, thanks so much for coming on, man. Do you have anything you would like to plug and where can people find your work? No, it's, it's always a pleasure to be here. You can find me at Raptors Republic. Uh... My Twitter handle is just my name, Lewis Axman. Uh, yeah, no, it's uh, we talked about the piece I wrote recently, so no more about it. But thank you so much for having me. Always, always just a blast to chat with you. Fantastic. Uh, yeah, you can find me at Woodley Sean. You can subscribe, rate, review. Uh, iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, Google Play, all the places you get your podcasts. Not just for this podcast, but for all of the Locked On Podcast Network offerings. Um, you can expect my mood to go down as this week goes along. As I was telling Lewis off air before we started recording, I'm on a juice cleanse. This is the first day. I'm sure I'll be grumpy as hell by Wednesday and Thursday. Uh, so I apologize in advance for that. Um, but I will continue to persevere through my empty stomach and, uh, my lack of carbs and, keep on doing shows we'll have a show breaking down the heat the hawks game the heat game the hawks game tomorrow thursday not sure what we'll end up doing but uh we'll have a fun week katie will stop by at some point this week as well as she always does once a week and that's gonna do it we will talk to you next time with another episode of locked on raptors Prime members, you can listen to this Locked On podcast ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the Amazon Music app today.